Welcome to the December edition of Write on Audio, the podcast for writers everywhere. My name is Tiffany Clare, and in this festive edition of the podcast, we'll be sharing our usual mix of writing advice, features, and contributions from our listeners and the Write on editorial team. We start this month with a festive Reasons to be Cheerful from Mary Walsh, read here by Sally Walker-Taylor. Quiet descends when the shops are closed. Small folk in their beds repose. The presents underneath the tree, with Santa bringing more indeed. Then we can sit and contemplate the world in all its sorry state. And think on loved ones gone before, remembering them with a tear. And thank the heavens that we can bide, safe and warm and loved inside and fill our lives with sweetest honey, spread our love with time, not money. For Christmas really can fulfill many reasons to be cheerful. Thanks, Mary. We hope all our listeners have plenty of reasons to be cheerful this December. Here's write-on editor Madeline White with her introduction to the podcast. Hello, my name's Madeline White and I'm the editor of the Write On suite of publications. I'd like to welcome you to Write On Audio, the podcast that celebrates diversity, originality and excellence in writing for and by writers everywhere. This December, it seems we're back in uncertain times again. So I very much hope this episode of beautiful writing, reflection and new voices brings some festive cheer. Remember, if you like what you hear, you can enjoy Write On Extra at pentaprint.org. There's lots of powerful creative work for you to enjoy. We're also busily preparing issue 11 of Write On, our flagship magazine, in print from the 19th of January and also digitally available on our website through the magazine's page. January's podcast will be aired towards the end of the month. An extract from our magazine interview featuring multi-award winning children's writer Frances Harding will be leading, but we'll also have a lovely short story by Bob Thompson and an abridged version of one of our Friday features edited by Deputy Editor Claire Buss. As ever, we're actively looking for new contributors to our podcast, with a listener's contributor slot open for submissions. Do check out guidance on my editor's introduction on pentaprint.org. You can either record it yourself as a five-minute slot or send your work across as a written piece for an actor to record. We welcome fiction, non-fiction and multimedia creative pieces but do want to hear that sense of purpose and voice. We're also looking for short, snappy recordings around the idea of inspirational moments for January. So do get in touch if you have two minutes worth of inspiration to share. We hope you enjoy this episode of Write On Audio and look forward to hearing from you soon. You're listening to Write On Audio for writers everywhere. This month's writing tips come from novelist and business writer Patrick Forsyth. Hello, my name's Patrick Forsyth and I have my fourth novel, which is titled Once a Thief, being published in November. I'm here to see whether... Anything about the method I adopt might help others. It's said that there are planners and pantsers. The latter is people who 
go about their writing by the seat of their pants. I do plan, um, but of course you need ideas first, perhaps several, perhaps mulled over and altered and amended until you feel you've got something useful. Then I do planning, which creates an outline. I return to that again and again, um, essentially to make sure that there's a plot, a sequence, and that everything links together. One huge piece of paper I find works best for that, which ends up filled with arrows and rings and highlights of various thoughts. Then when I start writing, I do so as fast as possible and concentrate on the plot getting right through to the end, sometimes running, writing the end ahead of finishing other bits. Then there's more writing, which is a filling out of that. I add probably a third at least, which is primarily description. Of course, changes occur along the way. Characters can tend to take over, and that's good too, as you go on mulling it over. Then there's the chore of editing. This adds a little corrects rather more than you hope it will have to and has to be done very carefully. I like to do certain checks too, for instance putting the letters LY into my find function which highlights words like slowly that might be better filled out as um, a more descriptive passage. All this is helped by being systematic, setting targets about word count, about finishing chapters, about the times at which one writes and so on. The more of that I find, the better. Stick to a schedule and it all goes more smoothly. That said, ideas are, of course, the mysterious bit. Somehow, with the conscious and subconscious working together, they come, they assemble into a whole, and we all go on wondering how that happens. To finish, let me quote Joyce Grenfell on that matter. If I knew, she said, where my inspiration came from, I would go there again. We hope Patrick's tips on planning help you in your own writing practice. We'll share a link to Patrick's website as part of the show notes for this podcast. This month's interview features Sunday Times best-selling romantic novelist Sue Moorcroft. The interviewer is Dia Pardia. Can you uh, tell me about some of your early experiences that, you know, helped you to understand the power of language or literature? Like, how did you start writing? Um, I started, I never really stopped after school, to be honest. But the thing that made me understand the power of particularly a love story in literature was reading a book called A Town Like Alice by Neville Shute. And he died before I was born, so his books are a little dated, but there's such a massive love story in that where the hero and heroine are both prisoners of war and that he allows himself to be beaten and crucified to keep her safe, to provide her with food. Uh, and I was only nine when I read that. My dad owned it. And um, that, that, I think, stuck with me. And uh, I wanted to be the person who puts the words between the covers. I had so much pleasure from books myself. But um, when you when you leave school, if you say you want to be an author, the careers teacher says, well, you know, that doesn't happen to many people. So I went to secretary school and I went to work in a bank. Then when my children were small, I decided I would make this dream come true. 
and uh, I had a little bit of time when the youngest one went to preschool when I did have part-time jobs but they were not during that time and so that became my writing time and uh, that was a long time ago it took me 20 years to get from my first published short story well the first acceptance in a magazine to being number one on Kindle and saying oh I can make a living as a novelist now. So all in all these years and all these 20 years how how has your journey evolved how how have your goals changed how has your writing changed can you tell us more about that well my goals didn't really change us well I suppose they've developed a bit but my goal was to make a living out of being a novelist not just all the other things I used to do short stories serials columns judging writing competitions appraising manuscripts teaching workshops. I used to do all of these things and I've gradually been able to cut them out and cut them out so that I can make a living as a novelist. And then I suppose my goal was to be a bestseller. And now I suppose I am a bestseller. I'd like to be a top seller. So I like something massive like Joanna Trollope or or Peter Davis. It's just, uh, Peter May, I mean, it's just so everything you do, you want to do something else. It's, it is a process of evolving, but I had a chance to see how my actual writing had developed with this year because uh, my publisher, Zavon HarperCollins, offered to buy the rights of my very first published book, which then was called Uphill All the Way. And they said, do you want to make any changes? And I had a look at it and said, yes. <laughs> so that was published 16 years earlier. And uh, I can tell you that I have improved as a writer. Uh, It took me a month to rewrite it. I had some really bad habits. One was that I would have an event happen. And then like four four pages later, I'd explain it instead of foreshadowing so that when it happens, it seems perfectly feasible and almost inevitable. So that was a bad uh, habit. Another one was really convoluted and passive sentences. And also not that much description of the world around us. But in fairness to me, that publisher did say they favoured a spare style where dialogue and the action was a lot more important than the scenery. But now I don't think that's really true. You need to be able to paint those images into the mind the imagination of the reader. So I think it is important, but it's like everything else. It has to be a balance. So I spent a month rewriting that book. I actually got to the stage where I wanted to ask my agent, please, can we give the money back? And I just not do this. She told me afterwards the answer would have been no. But then it surprised me by being quite a success. It got to number 49 in the UK, top 50 in print and 46 in Kindle. Okay. Um, And it got some really good reviews. So it's now called A Home in the Sun. It's set between Malta and the UK. Uh, and nobody was more surprised than me with the great result. All the supermarkets took it and everything. So, you know, that work was worth it. But it did really show me how my writings developed in, let's see, I think I'm on my 19th, 20th novel, the one that I'm just editing now. So Under the Mistletoe, I think, is my 19th novel, and then uh, the summer one will be the 20th. So I guess I ought to have developed in that time. Do you have a a writing routine? Um, Yes, I do. It's been really messed up this week because I've moved offices. The room you can see around me is enormous compared to my old study, which was like the size of a shoebox. 
So that's disrupted things quite a lot. And I've only just in the last couple of days been able to get back. So I tend to get up reasonably early. I wake up naturally about half six, seven o'clock, shower and straight through my computer, do my social media and emails. And then I start whatever the day's task is. So at the moment, I'm editing my summer book for next year, which presently is called Summer at the French Park Cafe, but it might have to be given a shorter title because that'll take up the whole book cover. So then I will uh, have breakfast at my machine, which is usually something very small, like a cereal bar or a little pot of porridge. And um, I work till lunchtime. Uh, I do stop for lunch and I quite often go out for a walk after lunch or to the post box or to the supermarket nearby, something to get out and then come back and work till about somewhere between five and six. And then in the evenings, I often have events like this often happen in the evenings. Uh, And because I've just had a book out that I think I've done three in a week. So I, I'm, I do pretty much have a routine. I do also go to a couple of dance classes during the week as well. And I just leave my desk and go and do that. And I, I do like that, you know, dancing as exercise. I'm not going to appear on Strictly Come Dancing or anything. Reading all your books, and uh, I've noticed uh, you have so much about Christmas. There's this whole uh, theme set. So what's, what's the creative idea behind that theme? Well, it's more of a commercial idea that my publisher wanted um, an author who would write one summer book, one Christmas book, because that gives, um, although it makes the windows perhaps a little less flexible for the um, for selling them, it makes them very focused. And bookshops and supermarkets particularly have promotions, you know, beach reads, summer reads, your Christmas reads, your winter reads. And so we take advantage of that. Um, I wasn't doing that. When I was with my last publisher, Chocolate, I was just writing books. And they weren't anywhere particular. But I was doing a book signing in a bookshop. And um, I was just watching the Christmas books just walk out the door. It was November and people were doing their Christmas shopping. And um, books with very Christmassy covers were very popular. And so I thought, well, maybe I ought to try this. And it was originally going to be a novella for my old publisher. But then I decided that I would like an agent again. I'd been agented in the past. And then um, I'd left her uh, flock of authors uh, after a bereavement. And I didn't think I'd be able to write novels anymore. I was going to concentrate on other writing. So seven books later, I decided I would like another agent and to try and get me a bigger publisher and get in the supermarkets, which is where my kind of book sells in the UK mainly. So I I did get an agent and the book she liked best, I gave her three ideas, was this one about Christmas. And then it was called The Twelve Dates of Christmas, which I'm really glad was eventually changed because the Christmas, this turned out to be The Christmas Promise. And the Christmas that came out, there were about five books called The Twelve Dates of Christmas. So I was really, I was really pleased that it had been changed. So she, it just so happened the next book I'd begun was a summer book, which became just for the holidays. And so she rocked up at Avon with an author who had a winter book and a summer book, just when they lost an author who was writing a summer book and a winter book. So commercially, I was a very good fit. 
obviously you've got to then write what they want that's correct for that imprint that's good enough quality wise would have a wide readership and the fact that I already had a readership although it wasn't so wide in those days and that they could look at my Amazon reviews and see what readers liked about my books and say yes that's the kind of author we want um, it all combined and it's it's just you know I got the roll of the dice uh, in that circumstance and once in a while we reassess and say is this still the right thing to do summer book winter book and every time the answer comes back yes it is and so that's what I carry on doing Write on audio for writers everywhere Sue Moorcroft's latest novel Under the Mistletoe is published by HarperCollins and we'll share links so you can find out more about Sue and buy her books in the show notes Ethna Cullen is a poet, writer of short fiction, and editor of Write on Extra's Thoughtful Tuesday page. She's also the presenter of this month's showcase. Here's Ethna to tell you more about the writers and pieces featured. Hello, my name's Ethna Cullen, and I am the editor of the Write on Extra magazine's Thoughtful Tuesday page. This month, I've had the privilege and the pleasure of actually editing all of the showcase pages for December. So I'd like to share with you some of the pieces that appeared on the page on December the 1st. The selection I chose on December the 1st was a mixture of happy and sad, hopeful and thoughtful, usually quite reflective. So I'm going to share two pieces with you today. The first one is called Tired and it's by our own deputy editor Claire Boss. I'm tired of trying to see the good in people. No one ever wants to look closer at me. They see overweight, middle-aged, bad hair, bad clothes, no tan. Guilty of practically every crime a woman in Essex can be guilty of. I don't talk like they talk. I've never seen a single episode of TOWIE. I don't walk like they walk. In fact... I don't currently own a pair of heels. I'm not interested in dressing my children up as miniature Z-list wannabes, and I have no idea whether celebrity get-me-a-big-brother-love-island is currently on air or not. I'm tired of trying to see the good in people who clearly don't care about the world, country, town, hell, even the street they live in. Litterbugs everywhere, hawking and spitting and spilling and urinating and even defecating the paths they have to walk. Never mind the ones everyone else has to use as well. Children, still heartbreakingly young, toughing it out as they walk along, swearing madly, loudly, blindly, everything prefaced with I didn't vote, they say. No point, they say. No one listens to me, they say. That's nearly 15 million people. I think we'd probably listen to that many voices. I'm tired of trying to see the good in people who can't take care of themselves. Their children, their home. Stomach bugs run rampant through schools and nursery when all it takes is a little cleanliness. A little hygiene. Yes, you do have to wash your hands after you've been to the toilet. (laughs) 
Try telling that to a 12-year-old, incredulous at you for suggesting such a thing. Never done it before, they shrug. <laughs> a healthy, balanced meal should not be made up of four shades of beige. Vegetables are not your enemy. And no, I don't drink broccoli smoothies for breakfast. I'm tired of trying to see the good in people who think I have no value because I work from home, because I'm self-employed, because I am a housewife and a mother. Dirty words in today's society. You'll join the rest of us one day, they say. Do a real job, they say. Earn a proper living, they say. I have worth, I whisper. I, I work hard, I stammer. I pull 16-hour days, I object. I exist on 24-hour call. I'm tired of trying to see the good in people who measure by material wealth and not by the things that truly matter. You may have the latest games console, two cars, seven credit cards, designer clothes and go abroad every year, but I have happiness and love and a family that talks to each other. I'm tired of trying to see the good in people who dismiss others based on the limbs they have lost and the wheelchair they exist in. Being disabled does not mean you are less. My mother's brain is just as sharp and just as active as it was when she stood six feet tall and you respected her legs. Why must we judge by the cover so harshly? I'm tired. I tried. I looked. I couldn't find it in the unknown neighbours, in my block of flats, in the surly shopkeeper who serves me regularly, in the gaggle of mums at the playground, among the people I walk past every single day. And then, the old man in the motorised scooter. We pass regularly, he going his way, me going mine, but now we smile and we connect for the briefest of moments. Perhaps one day we will grow into good morning and afternoon, a brief light in both of our days and the faint possibility that maybe, just maybe, there is a speck of goodness left in the world today. And then, perhaps, I will keep trying to see the good in people. And they will see the good in me. And that was written by Claire Buss this year. And I'm really grateful to her for sharing it with us because it gives us a glimpse into some of the things that people just carry around with them, really, and, and always trying to look for the good, always trying to see things in a hopeful way. The second piece I'm going to share with you was sent into pen to print by Ray Miles, and it's a very hopeful piece. I selected this for the showcase piece because it's got such lovely descriptions in it, and it gives you such a lovely sense of journey as you go along. It's called The Approach to Salisbury. His spirits were high on that late spring afternoon as he drove through the verdant Hampshire countryside. The sky was blue and the sun shone down 
although there were large white puffs of cloud like cotton wool which were being blown on a relatively modest breeze. He'd taken a diversion onto a smaller road, much to the intense annoyance of the nice lady in his satnav, as he was approaching familiar territory and no longer required directions. It was hard to believe that this used to be a main artery from London to the southwest. It was so quiet now. The road was as straight as an arrow, as it was built on an old Roman road. He drove along between the high hedgerows, which were bursting with white hawthorn blossom, stark against the green of the leaves. He'd spent many years in this area, and memories came flooding back unbidden. Most were pleasant, but some of the recollections made him shudder. He gave himself a mental shake. He watched the miles roll by on the odometer. It shouldn't be far now. With his window down, he could smell rapeseed, and looking round, saw the gaudy bright yellow slashes in the distant fields. He could hear snatches of birdsong. His mood was getting lighter with every mile that passed. Then, as he crested a hill, there it was. The spire of Salisbury Cathedral loomed large on the horizon, like a beacon guiding him. His heart leapt for joy as suddenly the intervening years melted away, taking him back to his childhood. This was immediately followed by a burst of intense sadness, as he realised that he no longer had anyone to share this with, and he had to fight back tears. The end of his trek was close, and it felt like he belonged once more, albeit on a temporary basis. He regained control of his emotions and, as he approached the city limits, the weight began to slowly slip from his shoulders. He found that he could breathe again. And it was good to be alive. Thank you very much to Ray Miles for sharing that with us and to everybody else who submitted to pen to print and found their way onto the pages of our magazine, online and in print. Do keep sending your work in, and I hope you enjoy reading lots of other lovely submissions as you go back to the magazine and beyond. Bye-bye, everybody. This is Ethna. In this month's showcase, you heard Tired by Claire Bass, read by Sally Walker-Taylor, and The Approach to Salisbury by Ray Miles, read by Chris Gregory. This month's listener contribution is from Palak Tavari. Palak is a writer and contributor to Write On. Her piece is called Christmas in the Air and is read by Palak herself. After a year and a half, I finally booked my ticket with shaking hands. It took a lot of research, a full plan of what I needed to get done and by when. It was more than visas now, forms, tests and rules. I had to make sure I knew it all. Finally, being double vaccinated and with the amber lists turning to green, I could at least see family without having to quarantine. With that thought in mind, I booked my holidays. It seems everyone had the same idea. The only flight I could get 
was on 24th December evening and returning on 1st January. With a sigh, I clicked reserve. Both my Christmas Eve and New Year's will be up in the clouds. With all the changes that we have seen in the last couple of years, this seems to be a new normal that I readily accepted, as was queuing up to get tested for COVID two days before my flight, pausing for only a split second to pay extra for a seat to ensure there would be at least one empty seat next to me, an option the airlines have now included to allow for social distancing, and arriving three hours before my flight, even though I had checked in online. Parking now meant having a good stock of sanitizers and masks, in addition to the passport, ticket and boarding pass, ensuring that I had my test results, the passenger forms, my vaccination certificate, in triplicate. The bustle of the airport appeared to be just the same as before. But there was a sense of fantastic as we all walked around in masks, sanitizing at every turn, after every interaction. Yet it was strangely exciting, as if it were my first trip. I felt like a butterfly, finally emerging from the cocoon of lockdown, ready to test my wings. When traveling, we tend to remember the places we have been to and the sights that we have seen. Sometimes we remember the food that we have eaten and the stories that we have unearthed and the people that we have met. But there are only a few journeys that are remembered. There was the one when I had traveled alone for the first time. The one when we were stuck at an airport for three days. The one where I almost missed the flight. The one where we lost our passports and the one when we had a celeb ride across the aisle from us. And now this one. When on Christmas Eve, I found myself above the clouds with a prepackaged piece of fruitcake. Thank you to Palak for that piece about a unique Christmas. January's listener contribution will be from Bob Thompson, so please be sure to subscribe to hear it the moment our podcast is released. One of our most popular write-on features is called Thursday Connectors. Here's Fazana Hakim to tell us more about the page. Hi all, I'm Fazana Hakim, and I'm the editor and host of Write-On Magazine's Thursday Connectors page. I'm so excited to be able to share some of my connectors here on this podcast with you. I've connected with writers as well as non-writers from over a hundred countries since the magazine and Thursday Connectors were launched. And seriously, I've had all sorts of stories on so many diverse themes and experiences showcased. And not only stories, I've welcomed thoughts and poems, flash fiction and reports. To me, writing comes from the heart and I like to keep the themes of Thursday Connectors full of emotion and sentiment, which is why... I want to share some of my most recent connectors with you. Firstly, let me tell you a bit about my November edition, which was titled Childhood Memories and Fond Reflections. 
And let me warn you right here, I needed a box of tissues to hand whilst bringing you these fabulous pieces of writing. What can I do? I'm sentimental. I can't help getting emotional whenever I remember to or tell stories from my own childhood of where I grew up in an extended family in the heart of East London. My memories are mostly fond ones, full of happy days and happy things. Yeah, thinking about them now makes me feel sad and I have to stop. Because although these fond memories are still in my heart, some of the people who starred in them are no longer here. Perhaps this is why I wish I was that carefree child again. You know, to be able to spend even just another minute with them. Memories are like that, aren't they? Whether they're joyful or painful ones, the emotions we've attached to them as adults make reflecting on them quite hard. And I've definitely been inspired to write some of my own. Our childhoods are our personal hub of stories. And although opening the door to go into this hub can be emotional in the first instance, it's also good to know that the best stories are those which are taken out from it and shared with the world. So here are two fantastic examples from my November page, which can be found on the pentoprint.org website. The Mailboat by Ethna Cullen Dun Leary was wet and glistened. I looked at the strange gangplank, saw the reflections of the light on it, as I picked my way between the slats. Don't step on a crack, you'll have the devil on your back. We were in Dun Leary. We knew the place well. We had often been here. My cousins lived nearby. There was a beach where we played a little way off. We knew the granite pier and had often walked its stony length. We knew the boat sailed in and out. The mail boat, Mummy called it. So we boarded the boat, curious and cold. No one had told us we were leaving for good. That the new bouncy ball I'd left behind would not be shipped with the china and sheets. Our friends were out of reach. Our lives turned upside down. The bright morning showed us England. Bustling railway stations and fields flashing by as we moved further and further away from what we knew into this fascinating mystery, our new world. And now, before I leave you, I'd also like to tell you a bit about my December edition of Thursday Connectors, in which I asked you to write in telling me about your most crappy moments of 2021. You know, I couldn't be happier to be finally bidding goodbye to the year. It's been terrible for me. My list of grievances is too long. I've had one down after another. In fact, my crappy moments were never ending. Seriously, 2021 has been that bad. Yeah, the irony is that I'm a total optimist and I'm certain 2022 will be better. I mean, I won't be waking up from a surgery again in 2022 only to find out that they've left a swab inside me will I and in the new year when I plan a trip to see my sister in Qatar again I won't be sent back home from the airport because the Etiraz app hasn't been approved in time to let me check in and the money I paid for the trip won't be wasted again will it 
and my husband won't get the coronavirus again, touch wood, and I won't be left feeling helpless and oh so sad and tearful whilst he's away in another part of the world which is red-listed whilst he's so poorly and and in desperate want of his dear wife there, is it? And my carbon monoxide alarm won't be going off again, will it? And the fire brigade won't be coming down my road and the fire extinguishing hunks, <coughs> I mean persons, won't be dashing inside my house exploring all corners with their muddy boots still on whilst neighbours outside speculate on what's happening. It needed new batteries for those of you truly concerned. Oh my God, see how my inner pessimist, whom I prefer to keep buried deep inside me, is escaping. And before she bears it all, let's just listen to my favourite submission from my December's connectors. Things That Went Wrong For Me In 2021 By Fatima Ahmed After the opening of the gateway through which Covid entered our world, it didn't seem to close again. Life went on, and Corona became the new norm, like we'd been familiar with it since forever. In Karachi, life was all about hearing the bulletin news either reporting on an imposition of lockdown or it being lifted. It became the new normal. Stuck inside the four walls of our house was just ordinary. Sitting in my room away from all the meetups and dinners out, I spent my whole summer studying for CAIEs. Covid once again had managed to ruin my vacation. Dates after dates changed and we would wait impatiently for the NCOC meetings to announce the update. However, the real wrong turn came at the beginning of this year with the loss of my beloved paternal uncle. People say, if you fall, get up and fight again. But it's not easy learning to walk again. And sometimes, after just one try, we lose hope and it's too strenuous to get back on track. Life is so unpredictable. One moment, laughter echoes from all the corners of the house, like music to our ears. The radiant and bright smiles become the rays of sunshine and cause of euphoria in the household. Everything seems to be imperfectly perfect, yet in a flick of a second, in just one blink, everything changes. The memories of Chachu, my uncle, flash before my eyes and I can hear his voice echoing and slowly fading away like the seasons as they come and go by. Losing him made life lose all its colours. Everywhere and everything was black and white. For a long time, it seemed as though laughter was sucked from our souls. Slowly now, the colours of life are returning, and our household is getting on with life's demands again, and we continue to cherish the moments spent with Chachu when he was here with us. That's what life is all about. In order to live life to the fullest, We need to admire the past while living in the present as we plan for the future. In this section, you heard The Mailboat by Ethna Cullen and Things That Went Wrong For Me in 2021 by Fatima Ahmed. The reader was Hadia Morris. We've abridged the pieces slightly for this podcast. 
As with all Write on Extra Day pages, you can find Thursday Connectors by visiting pentoprint.org and clicking on Write on Extra. Coming up in January on Write on Audio, we'll have our usual range of features, interviews, writing tips and listener contributions. Join us to hear writing tips from Lucy Kaufman and a listener contribution from Bob Thompson. Also in January, our parent organisation, Pen to Print, will be offering the usual range of writing courses and workshops. You can find out all about these sessions by visiting the Events and Classes page on the Pen to Print website. We have everything from screenwriting led by Lucy Kaufman, beginners classes in creative writing and poetry with Ian Ayres and Anne Robinson, to writing for children and young adults with Catherine Coe. You can find details of all these events and book onto them at pentoprint.org. Click on events and classes to find out more. We hope you'll find something inspiring to start your year and spark your creativity. Subscribing to Write On Audio is easy and will mean that you'll be notified the moment new editions are released. Many podcast apps will deliver new editions directly to your feed. In your favourite podcast app, search for Write On Audio and then look for a button or link that says subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, you need to choose follow to subscribe, just as you would for a musician or band. We'll print more details in the show notes for this podcast, where you will also find links to our contributors and to the online version of Write On Magazine. As always, we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to contribute a piece of writing to the podcast, you can contact us via pentoprint.org on the new submission page or email the team at pentoprint at lbbd.gov.uk. That's it for this edition of Write On Audio. This is, of course, our last podcast of 2021. It's been another difficult year for all of us, but we hope we've provided you with some writing inspiration and that 2022 will be a wonderfully creative year for you. All that remains is for us to wish you and your loved ones a happy festive season and a great new year. Please join us again in January for more writing tips and features. I've been Tiffany Clare. Our producer is Chris Gregory. And Write on Audio is an alternative stories production for pen to print. 